Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we do examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And what a program that we have for today. You know, Rick, as I look at world events and I look at our broadcast partners and the questions and the articles and the issues that we'll be talking about, that you'll be talking to them about, uh, it seems like we're going in the wrong direction worldwide, not just in America. And we are all aware of what just took place, but it does seem like things are going in a direction that can be troubling to people. Well, Jimmy, when it seems like things are spiraling out of control, you want to just know that there's a plan, and we know that there's a plan. We know that's why we study Bible prophecy. We look at God's Word. He had a plan uh, in the past. He has a plan for us right now. He has a plan for us in the future. On today's program, we're going to talk to our broadcast partners, and we'll understand what direction we are heading in and how Bible prophecy does help us. Well, let's get started, Rick. We have Ken Timmerman standing by to give us an update on world politics and what's taking place. Ken Timmerman joins us. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs. He joins us nearly every week. Ken, thank you for joining us this week. Rick, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Well, Ken, we'll start this week at the World Economic Forum, and there are calls for Ukraine to look at giving up land for peace in this Russian-Ukrainian crisis. Uh, well, this was a speech given by former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger uh, at the World Economic Forum, not one of the places that you and I love a lot, Rick. And uh, Kissinger, I got I to gotta love him. You know, I met him about 20 years ago, and I was already ancient, must be nearly 100 by now. He has a great brain, but he is kind of stuck back in the 20th century. This notion that Ukraine, to pacify the Russians, should give up territory, especially in the east, that's what he's talking about in the Donbass, is something that has been rejected resoundingly by Ukrainian President Zelensky, but also by members of parliament and not just his parliamentary majority. Ken, it seems like Ukraine is somewhat winning the war on the ground there, and they may also be winning the war in the political uh, specter. And in fact, uh, French President Emmanuel Macron said that uh, Ukraine will be joining the European Union soon. Well, uh, little cookie, as I call him, always likes to put his best foot forward, which I guess is both of them at once. He is uh, trying to make himself the center of the discussion. He is, remember, the uh, rotating president of the European Union. France has that rotating presidency. So he's trying to somehow keep himself in the news and to uh, give the Ukrainians some bone they can chew on. But uh, before everybody sort of jumps in the air and say, OK, Ukraine is joining the EU, you've got to look at the fine print. And the fine print is, well, eventually, Eventually, they're going to join the EU, and Macron is talking about setting up some kind of new procedure for future members of the EU that will give them a 50 to 20, 15 to 20-year 20 glide path to joining the EU. Uh, that is like saying, in political terms, that's like saying never. Well, very interesting. I know one of the ties that Russia had with the with Europe and the European Union in general is that uh, they have been providing energy. And now it looks like there's a deal for Israel to provide energy. That's uh, an interesting development in this situation, isn't it? Uh, well, it's a development that should have happened a year ago, except for the Biden administration. The Israelis have been talking about building a trans-Mediterranean pipeline. You and I talked about this about six months ago, and that would have gone 
bypassing Turkey to Greece and from Greece into the European Union. Remember, Israel has got enormous amounts of natural gas in the Leviathan and Tamir offshore gas fields, tens of billions of cubic meters. I mean, it's absolutely enormous. Uh, and uh, they, they have more than they can market right now. And the Biden administration stepped into it uh, last November and blew up a great deal. Uh, now there's a new uh, option. The Israelis have turned to Egypt and said, okay, we can't build this pipeline to uh, Greece. How about if we just build a short pipeline to Egypt where they have been uh, constructing new liquid natural gas conversion plants and loading terminals, and then they'll ship that LNG by tanker to, uh, or by, by, you know, by any kind of ship, cargo ship, to Europe. It would be a great deal. It is a great deal, but only if the environmental zealots in the Biden administration uh, leave it alone. If they don't seek to quash it, they did that earlier deal. I, and I must say, like many other U.S. Uh, uh, energy deals, the Keystone XL pipeline, it's these environmental zealots at the White House who are ruining our economy and wrecking the security of our allies. Well, Ken, we look at this situation, and uh, as uh, Russia's military capacity seemingly is diminished every day, the biggest relevance they have in the world is their oil, their energy providing. And if they, if Israel was to be able to come in and to take that away from them, that would basically put Russia and Israel at odds, would it not? Well, it would. And that is, that is something that the Israelis are very, very shy about. They do not want to uh, brusquely go up against Russia. The Israelis, like, interestingly enough, the Gulf Arab states, Saudi Arabia in particular, have been really threading a a, a path in between Ukraine and Russia. They have not been supplying weapons to Ukraine, uh, uh, but they have not been uh, voting against Ukraine at the United Nations. At least Israel has not voted against Ukraine. Uh, the others have. They want to maintain relations with both Russia and Ukraine, Russia and the United States. And they are very worried. The Israelis are worried. The Gulf Arabs are worried that the U.S. under Biden is going to abandon the Middle East, that we are going to pull out of the Middle East. Uh, now, will Russia step into that vacuum? Right now, the Russians have got a, a limited attention span. They're very preoccupied with Ukraine. But once that war is over, I imagine they will return to the Middle East, and they will return in a big way, and the U.S. will not be there. And so Israel does not want to anger the Russians. Small amounts of sales, that's why LNG through Egypt, which can be turned on and turned off, there's not a big in infrastructure build. I think that's the way to go. I think that's where the Israelis will go, again, if the environmental zealots in the White House don't shut it down. Well, that's a very interesting situation, and it's something we're going to keep tabs on for sure. Well, the next thing I'd like to talk about, we'll move out of the Middle East and we'll go to China. And President Biden made a gaffe. It might not have been a gaffe. We're not exactly sure what it was, but he signaled a basically a change in policy on Taiwan. Can you talk about that situation a little bit? Well, uh, remember Robert Gates, who said that uh, Joe Biden has never been on the right side of a national security or foreign policy issue in his entire 50-year Senate career. And that has not changed since he became president. <laughs> he did not all of a sudden become a genius. He did not all of a sudden even become an intelligent high school graduate. Uh, Joe Biden does not understand national security or our longstanding uh, commitments to Taiwan. We have a commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act 
that requires the United States to maintain uh, an ability to, quote, resist any resort to force, meaning that the U.S. has to maintain a military capability to protect Taiwan should it be attacked. That does not mean that we should be announcing that we're sending military troops to Taiwan, which is what uh, Biden did. But, you know, before we kind of go off into that uh, minutia of foreign policy, the historical foreign policy stance, we have to look at what the U.S. is actually doing on the ground. Uh, we are uh, downsizing our Navy. The Chinese are outbuilding us five to one. We're going down to about 240 ships. They're up at close to 430, 440. Uh, that's dangerous. The Chinese only have to move their Navy onto one sea to get to Taiwan. We've got to go across 8,000 miles of oceans, and we have ships uh, uh, you know, all spread all across the world. So uh, our Air Force is also the smallest and the oldest of it has ever been in history. We are, we are uh, not building enough uh, F-35 aircraft. We are shutting down. We're going to retire, actually, our best fifth-generation fighters, the F-22. Uh, my friend Stephen Bryan has come out with a recent uh, study with uh, a group of retired uh, generals and admirals from the uh, Center for Security Policy called Stopping a Taiwan Invasion. And he looks at these things on the ground. Yes, we need to position ourselves to defend Taiwan. Yes, we need to deter China from attacking Taiwan. But our current military posture is not enough to do so. We need to build more planes. We need to build more ships. We need to have dispersed bases in the region. We have to pre-position supplies. We have to integrate Taiwan's air defenses with us. And the list goes on and on of rational, clear things that we need to do strategically and policy-wise, and this president is incapable of doing it. The United States under Joe Biden is a paper tiger, and it's a disgrace that we have become that. Seemingly at odds with that perspective a little bit, Secretary of State Blinking said that uh, they've called China the most serious global challenge. Are we ready to meet that challenge? And I, I know your previous comments say no, but what do we need to do to be ready to meet that challenge? Well, I, I was very interested to watch that speech by Blinken at the World Economic Forum. Remember, Davos, uh, this is no friend of freedom. <laughs> freedom does not live in Davos. They, they round up. They have The World Economic Forum has their own police force. They arrested a conservative American reporter, Jack Posobiec, in Davos because they didn't like his politics, not because he was dangerous. Blinken made a speech at the uh, World Economic Forum talking about China, saying, well, they're not an adversary. We might compete in some areas, but they're not an adversary. He says, we don't want to, China to, to think that we believe they're a threat. It was a disgraceful hmm. speech. Uh, you compare that to things uh, that Secretary Pompeo has said or even dem other Democrat predecessors. It was pathetic. And it shows uh, that Blinken really is a creature of the World Economic Forum and of the George Soros wing of the Democrat Party. Well, Ken, so much going on in the world right now. We've looked at Russia and Ukraine. We look at the Middle East. We look at China. We appreciate you coming on our program and educating our listeners. We look forward to you uh, reporting to us in the future. Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, we got to take a break. And when we come back, David Dolan in the Middle East News Update right here on Prophecy Today Weekend.
I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. When 18-year-old Salvador Ramos charged into a classroom with an assault rifle on Wednesday, 19 kids and two adults lost their lives. The motive for the rampage, the deadliest United States school shooting in a decade, remains under investigation. Police say Ramos had no known criminal or mental health history. In times like these, you need a savior, says the old hymn. Resources from Ron Hutchcraft Ministries can help you point people to the hope only Jesus offers. Meanwhile, people throughout the Middle East and North Africa are turning away from Islam and following the risen Jesus. In Libya, new believers often face hostility both from authorities and from their families. So why would they risk persecution to follow Jesus? Sami, who works with Gospel Work Libya, says the whole perception of Islam is in flux, especially among young people. People are horrified by Islamic terror groups. Ask God to strengthen and grow the Libyan church. Mission Network News, service of One Way Ministries, Hans Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of Bible prophecy. Well, we have reached a portion of our program where we typically have our Middle East news update, and we focus on Israel here. And to do this, we have longtime journalist Dave Dolan with us. Dave, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, Rick. Uh, Always glad to do it. Well, Dave, the first thing that we need to talk about, and coming up tomorrow on Sunday, there's going to be a Flag Day march. Now, this has been in all the news stories, and there's a lot of controversy surrounding this. Can you explain the situation for our listeners? Well, it was on uh, the same uh, day last year, although it was a different date on the Gregorian calendar, uh, Jerusalem Day, which marks the Israeli conquest of uh, Jerusalem in 1967 during the Six-Day War. Of course, troops entering through the Lion's Gate in the east and heading up to the Western Wall. Very historic day, but one in which Israel celebrates every year. This year it falls, as you said, on the um, Hebrew calendar tomorrow, Sunday, and uh, it's always a day of festivities throughout Jerusalem and indeed throughout Israel. Uh, This uh, victory of the Six-Day War is celebrated, and of course the Arabs don't like that at all, and there's always some protests, there's always some violence. But last year, on the same day, the 11-day war began, and it was during the march in Jerusalem of Jews into the Old City, heading towards the Western Wall, that uh, rocket fire began from the Gaza Strip. Seven rockets were fired at Jerusalem, beginning that 11-day war. And that was despite the fact that the um, Israeli leaders at the time, the new government wasn't totally formed, but... The Israeli leaders at that time 
banned the march from going through Damascus Gate in the Arab quarter, the Muslim quarter of Jerusalem, and only allowed it to go through the Jaffa Gate, which, as you know, is the entrance into the Christian quarter, and then you march down to the Western Wall without going into the Muslim quarter at all. Well, this year, as of Friday at least, the government had announced that the original march would uh, take place. Uh, Half the 16,000 would be the limited number of uh, participants. 8,000 would be allowed to march through Damascus Gate and the Arab Quarter, and another 8,000 would go through Jaffa Gate. Well, the Muslim world erupted in uh, fervor over this uh, announcement that the parade would go on. Again, it's taken place uh, pretty much every year since 1967, but they've never liked it. And basically, the threats coming from the Gaza Strip, from Hezbollah and Lebanon, from Iran and other quarters, are that another war will be launched if this provocation, as they call it, takes place. Now, in reality, Rick, I've covered this march many times. The police are everywhere. In fact, the um, government announced the call-up of three reserve border police units this week to be on the scene. There'll be thousands of regular police. All forces have been canceled. Some of the Israeli military drills, the chariots of fire drill that I mentioned last week is going on for three weeks. Some of those uh, uh, planned uh, events will be canceled so that more soldiers can be free to be in the cities and towns in case there is once again a full rocket attack. Hezbollah uh, leader Nasrallah announced on Wednesday say that he would basically uh, support the Palestinians in every way possible, threatening, obviously, to unleash his huge rocket force upon Israel. And uh, this came Thursday evening. An Israeli drone was in the area looking at uh, Hezbollah forces, was in South Lebanon and was apparently shot down and uh, taken control of by the Lebanese army, not by Hezbollah itself, the report said. So tensions extremely high. The Hamas leader, the Islamic Jihad leader, both made threats against Israel if this uh, parade takes place. And it is uh, expected by many in Israel that at the last minute, uh, the Prime Minister Naftali Bennett will cancel the part of the parade that goes through Damascus Gate. Uh, and what that does do, uh, the, the marchers don't bother the Muslims or go into any of the uh, of the side streets or anything like that. But it does cause the merchants along the main street there in in from Damascus Gate to close their shops for the duration of the parade, and they don't like that. They've always protested that, but that's really only the only thing that happens that's uh, of offense. But of course, as I mentioned last week, a small uh, Jewish group said that it would begin dismantling the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock Shrine up on the Temple Mount during this march. Well, of course, the police are everywhere. There's not going to be any such thing happen, and the uh, Arabs and Palestinians know that. But uh, that's been the fuse, as it were, to get the uh, Arabs all riled up, and we could well see even the start of a new war, and this time much larger than last year's war, if it does involve uh, Hezbollah and possibly Iran directly. 
Well, you mentioned Hezbollah. You already talked about it a little bit. And I guess the thing I would worry about during this situation is they may use this situation as a pretext to start something else. In fact, the Hezbollah secretary general said that any attack on the Alaska Mosque and the Dome of the Rock will explode the region, basically insinuating that this uh, march, if it goes ahead and if it goes through the uh, Damascus Gate and through the Muslim Quarter, it's an attack on the Alaska Mosque, which it's not true. It's absolutely not true. The police and the border police will be stationed at uh, all of the entrances to the Temple Mount, the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound. They will not allow any of the Jews up there, any of the marchers. They will go, as they always do, to the western wall of the Temple Mount, below the Temple Mount, and they will sing and dance and uh, carry their Israeli flags and wave them about. And uh, it's not just right-wing or religious Jews that do this, uh, Rick, as I think you probably know. Many secular Israelis join in the march. I mean, they're just celebrating the reunification of Jerusalem in 1967, the fact that Jews could once again go to the Western Wall to pray because we've got to remember between 1948 and 67, when Jordan controlled all of the old city, Jews were completely forbidden to pray at uh, the uh, base of their holiest site, their holiest site on earth, the Temple Mount. Well, for those that don't realize the situation, uh, the city of Jerusalem was divided up until 1967. Much like the city of Berlin was divided between East and West Berlin, and the reunification of the city of Jerusalem came in 1967, and that's what these people are celebrating. Exactly, Rick. And, you know, it's I've covered it many, many times, and usually it's a real happy spirit. You know, it's, and again, some of the Arab shop owners are not happy because they close their doors. They don't have to do that, by the way, but they do that every year. And uh, most of them go, you know, through the Jaffa Gate. The majority usually go the other way. They don't go near the Arab Quarter at all. So it just, uh, it shouldn't be like this. And also, we've got to remember that when Israel captured that area in 67, the decision was taken by Moshe Dayan, the defense minister, that Israel would not take full control of the Temple Mount. It could have. It had the forces there to do it. There was the Jordanian army had just been defeated. The Palestinians were in disarray. Uh, Egypt was uh, uh, defeated. Nobody was ready to uh, contest if Israel had declared we're taking full sovereignty over this site. It's now a Jewish holy site again, and Muslims will be either limited or banned from it. They didn't do that. They took the opposite decision to retain the status quo, that it would mostly be a Muslim site, but the Jews could occasionally go up there. And by the way, three uh, young uh, Jewish males on Sunday, the uh, magistrate court in Jerusalem ruled that they could pray upon the Temple Mount, that as long as they were uh, discreet and careful and not in the face of anybody, that they could do so. Well, on Wednesday evening, the Israeli government appealed that, and on Wednesday evening, a district court reversed that and said, no more prayers, the status quo must remain as it is, so it's not going to change. Israel could have done that and didn't do it. And again, it is Israel's, the Jewish people's, holiest site by far on earth, and it is not Islam's holiest site or even its second holiest site. Well, David, we know Zechariah 
says in uh, Zechariah 12, 2, that, uh, behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling in the end times. And it certainly is all these reports that you've given us today from the Flag Day March to these uh, the, these bans on prayer and all these different things that are taking place are basically showing that this is definitely a cup of trembling to the surrounding nations. It definitely is, Rick. And of course, uh, we're not banned from praying before God and uh, the Psalms tell us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, and if there was ever a day or an hour in my life that we should be doing that, it's right now, mm-hmm. and I urge everybody listening to do that because it's a very explosive situation for sure. But the God of Israel is in control. He's returned Jerusalem to his ancient people as he promised he would do, and uh, he who watches over Israel is not slumbering, is not sleeping. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm into that, David. Well, thank you for joining us today. We look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a quick break right now, but we'll be back with more of Prophecy Today Radio. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This next half hour, R.C. Merle and a new broadcast partner, Paul Scharf. But right now, Rick has Itamar Marcus on the line. Itamar Marcus joins us today. He's with Palestinian Media Watch. Itamar, can you tell us a little bit about Palestinian Media Watch and how you do what you do? Palestinian Media Watch reads all the open sources connected to the PA, connected to their leadership. So, for example, we'll read all the Facebook pages of the president's office, the prime minister, all of the ministers. We will look at their school books. We will look at their official TV stations. We'll look at their official newspaper. So by looking at all of these social media and classical media stations of the leadership of the PA, we get a very excellent sense of what the real ideology is of the Palestinian Authority to its own people. When they come to Washington, they say something completely differently. That's what we're trying to constantly impress on the Americans, American leaders, is that you can't listen to what the Palestinians tell you when you visit them or when they visit you. You have to only listen to what they are telling their own people, their own children, and that's what we do. We bring them that information. And of course, it, it impacts very strongly because uh, well, when governments hear that the PA tells them, oh, we're teaching our children, educating them to peace. And then we show them videos from PA TV where 
children talk about uh, that they learned in school today to boycott and to kill the Jews. And that's a direct quote. So these are the kind of things that impact very strongly on American lawmakers. Well, and that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to give people an accurate picture as well. And certain narratives are being advanced by the information and the media that the Palestinians are consuming. And this is official Palestinian media. Well, there's a few stories that I wanted to get your take on. And during Ramadan, there was quite a bit going on on the Temple Mount. And much of it was talking the Palestinian media. People were coming to quote unquote, defend Alaska Mosque and the Dome of the Rock from uh, the Israeli soldiers and the Jews who were attempting to defile it. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and how that developed? Okay, so first of all, the story is a complete libel by the Palestinian Authority, and uh, it's a story that they have been repeating for years. It's a terrible lie, and it's cost Israel, Jewish people, many, many lives, many, many lives. The libel is this, that Israel is planning to destroy Al-Aqsa Mosque. The, the Palestinian Authority has repeated this libel so many times that there was once a poll taken by a Palestinian organization uh, at the height of a terror wave, and they found that 50% of the Palestinians believed that Israel was going to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque. This is even though Israel has given them freedom of worship there, even more freedom of worship there than Israelis have on the Temple Mount. So it's a complete libel. They know it is, but they know they can get Palestinians angry. And they know they can get Palestinians to kill Israelis in the name of Islam and in the name of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. So this is one of the most lethal libels. Now, what's happened recently is they have extended the area uh, in, in their libel of the, of the Al-Aqsa Mosque to the entire Temple Mount. The mosque is one. There are actually two mosques up there. But they've decided to call the entire Temple Mount and the Western Wall, by the way. They say that it's all part of the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It's all Islamic. It's all only Muslim. And any Jew who goes up on the Temple Mount is therefore defiling the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And Palestinian society is a very religious society. And when you tell them that Israelis or Jews are defiling or invading the Al-Aqsa Mosque, when of course nobody's going near the mosque, they're only going to the Temple Mount, our holiest site. But Palestinians go crazy over this, and they start killing Israelis. And that's why we had this recent terror wave, with, uh, in the end, 20 Israelis were killed, uh, many of them by stabbings, others by shootings. So people killed, three people killed in Tel Aviv, three people killed in Nebrak, people killed in Chadera. Uh, these are just regular mainstream cities uh, where everybody's living their lives peacefully, and Palestinians are coming in and murdering. Why? Because they believe that Israel is planning to destroy the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It is a it is literally a blood libel um, because this libel um, has brought a lot of death to Israelis over the years. So, Edmar, you talked a little bit about these uh, terrorist attacks that are taking place across the country, killing Jews. How are those attacks viewed? How are the perpetrators of those attacks viewed in the Palestinian media? The Palestinian Authority has turned them into heroes. Those who are arrested and go to jail uh, start getting a salary from the Palestinian Authority from the first day that they're arrested. Uh, those who murdered will be given life sentences, and after 30 years, they're going to be already making 12,000 checkups. That's about $4,000 a month, which is about four times the average Palestinian salary. So those terrorists are going to be rewarded. Um, the Palestinian Authority is praising them, and their leadership is praising them as having done this in defense of Al-Aqsa. So they not only promote the terror and murder, but then they glorify, honor, and reward the people, the terrorists afterward. And I have to remind you, this is the Palestinian Authority 
that Washington is deluding itself today to believe that they are a peace partner and worthy of American financial aid. The other story that I'd like to get your opinion on, Inamar, and your take on how this is being portrayed in the Palestinian media is the killing of the Al Jazeera journalist. It was an idea afraid and really no determination, even as of yet, has been made as to who is responsible for her death. Can you tell us how this is being viewed in the Palestinian media? Yes, the, the, the Palestinian Authority, from the very, very first day, uh, created this libel that Israel not only killed her, but intentionally killed her, intentionally targeted her. Uh, we've had quotes from official PA sources that Israel rewards its soldiers if they kill a Palestinian. Uh, Israel has told its soldiers they can kill Palestinians. The prime minister has told Israelis they can go out and kill Palestinians. This is the libel. And of course, when people hear this libel, they get incensed and they want to take revenge and then they go out and want to kill Israelis. But when it comes to this particular case, I think... I think the Palestinian Authority knows that it was a Palestinian bullet that killed the journalist, uh, Shireen Abwakla. And the reason I believe that is Israel has asked for them to supply Israel with the bullet. And Israel would then be able to check the ballistics on the bullet and compare it to the ballistics of every single soldier who was uh, in the area on that particular day looking for terrorists. And then we could check it out and we could see. And then if we could check through all those guns, we could say absolutely definitively this was or was not an Israeli gun that killed this journalist. Now, the fact that the Palestinian Authority is refusing to let Israel have the bullet, more than that, they're refusing to let any country, the United States even, have the bullet to review it with Israel is, I think, ample proof that they know that they know possibly even who the individual was who, who shot her. And they're afraid of Israel being able to prove that, that, that it's innocent. And I think that's the, that's the ultimate evidence that the Palestinian Authority is responsible, that they are holding the evidence, hiding the evidence, the only evidence that could be potentially conclusive. Now, I want to say one more thing, uh, and that is when it comes to responsibility. Why was Israel going into uh, the area of Janine? on that particular day? Why were they there in the first place? And the answer is that the 19 people at that point, the 19 Israelis who'd been murdered, were all murdered, just about all of them were murdered from terrorists who came from the Janine area. So Israel had an obligation to its own civilians to go into that area and to snuff out those terrorists, to go where we knew, that we knew where they were. We had to go to the homes, we had to find them, we had to kill them or arrest them. Uh, when Israel went in to arrest them, they started firing on Israel. Uh, the journalist from Al Jazeera was caught in the crossfire. And as far as international law is concerned, Israel is not responsible, even if it was an Israeli bullet, because Israel had a right to go after the terrorists. And if a, ter and a, and if a civilian is caught in a legal crossfire, that is legal on Israel's part, not on the terrorist's part. For Israel, it was legal. For the terrorists, it wasn't. So the terrorists are ultimately responsible no matter whose bullet it was who hit her. So I'll tell you again, two things. One, in all likelihood, it was their own bullet. But two, even if it was an Israeli bullet, the same terrorists are responsible. And I know officially, Inamar, that Israel has not said that they are or are not responsible. They would like to do an investigation. But like you said, they're not allowing them to do that investigation. 
Well, Edomar, we appreciate what you do. Most of this radio program is aired all over the United States, and our government is currently uh, partnering, and even more so now with this administration, is partnering with the Palestinian Authority, and we need to know what they're saying to their people. And so I, I, I appreciate what you do. If you would like to, go to palwatch.org, P-A-L-W-A-T-C-H.org. Edomar, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Well, as we talked at the outset of the program today, there are a lot of things that we're covering in the news worldwide, especially the amount of people that uh, are, seem to be globalist, uh, elitist that have met and are meeting in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, and on the program today, I wanted uh, R.C. Merle to come back. R.C., welcome to the program. Jimmy, good to be with you. Good to have you back. I knew I needed to talk to you about this because it, it is very troubling when you see this, uh, um, um, these amount of people that are trying to tell us and the world how they're going to live their lives and the many ways that they are monitoring this. RC, the World Economic Forum was back in Davos, Switzerland uh, this year, 2022, and it is the first global in-person leadership event since the 2022 start of the COVID-19 pandemic. What can you tell us about the meeting and what are the current plans and goals that they're setting? Hey, Jimmy, 2,000 participants, including over 50 heads of state, came together under the banner of Working Together, Restoring Trust. Now, everything they planned and discussed is an effort towards, and these are their own buzzwords, global collaboration. The attendees were leaders in government, business, energy, economics, technology, healthcare, the so-called captains of industry, the 1%, the rich and powerful on the planet. And this group, Jimmy, is not accountable to anyone but itself. The meeting got off under a bit of a dark cloud based on comments by WEF chairman uh, Klaus Schwab on threats to the global economy, including the highest inflation in a generation that shows no signs of slowing down. Well, the World Economic Forum meetings typically have the super rich flying in gas guzzling private jets. Has any of that changed? You know, back in 2020, they hosted over 3,000 people and had 1,500 private jets flying in under the theme committed to improving the state of the world, completely ignoring the fact that those gas guzzling jets contributed to 18,090 metric tons of CO2. To put that into perspective, Jimmy, that's enough CO2 to fly 76,652 people to Davos and back. Is it possible that the 2022 conference will do even more ecological damage? Well, this year was over 2,000 people, and they still say their biggest concerns are sustainability and protecting the environment. Now, to that end, the WEF, utilizing climate guilt, strongly encouraged European guests to arrive by a train, which many did adding multiple hours of travel time. And this was interesting. The event's organizers say they provided sustainable jet fuel at the airport in Zurich, created from waste products they say have the potential to reduce emissions. I did a Google search on sustainable aviation fuels, and I found this. SAF has similar properties to conventional jet fuel, but with a similar carbon footprint depending on the triglyceride-based feedstocks such as plant oils, waste oils, algal oil, soybean oil, jatropha oil, camelina oil, carinata oil, and tongue oil. 
Jimmy, it sounds more like a salad than a fuel. <laughs> you know, and they claim to have offset 100% of the carbon emissions from their, act- their activities by supporting environmental projects. A neat trick that the 1% is used for years to justify massive carbon footprints. Even experts agree that these offsets can be problematic because there's no proof or guarantee they reduce emissions. You know, as you look at this, RC, and I saw some of the uh, the news items on, and, and we have all been, if you've been watching the news, you see that uh, these are people that are making decisions about our lives that have that are out of touch with reality. And uh, it's clearly when you see this. What was said about the Ukraine invasion? You know, the ongoing impact of the invasion was the topic of countless sessions in Davos. Uh, and this is a first. The WEF didn't, did not invite any Russian companies or representatives in light of the sanctions imposed on Putin's regime. Uh, Russia's absence at the meeting left a noticeable vacuum. And to further emphasize the sentiment, a video appearance by Zelensky asking for more support received a standing ovation. A quote from WEF President Borga Brende from Norway said it all. Mr. Putin started the war and he can end it. The message was, we can't allow Russia to win this war. Wow. I've seen both sides of this, that uh, the World Economic Forum needed the war uh, and a pandemic to institute control over the world, or that Putin was not a part of this. What's your thoughts? Right. I think I could take both sides of that argument. I mean, but the way the the forum cheered for Zelensky mm-hmm. uh, kind of lets me know that that, that uh, they didn't have a hand in this thing and, and that they really want to see it come to an end. Wow. And so how did the elites decide to tackle the growing inflation and food crisis in the world? You know, the WEF actually lists four crises affecting our world, which are interwoven with Russia's invasion of Ukraine. High inflation, an energy crisis, food poverty, and a climate crisis. A Breitbart report from May 19th caught my attention when it quoted Klaus Schwab saying, the world can find salvation at Davos 2022, and followed it with apocalyptic language, quote, famine, floods, pestilence, drought, plague, war, rumors of war. These are the issues facing the world today, said Klaus, and the World Economic Forum is just the place to find the answers. Jimmy, I thought old Klaus was going to break into Matthew 24, 6 and 7, which speaks of wars and rumors of wars, along with famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. The really big difference, though, is that Klaus Schwab says it all comes down to trusting in the WEF, whereas in Matthew 24, 8, it says... All these are the beginning of the sorrows, and the only place to put one's trust is in the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for our sin, so we won't have to. You know, as I wrote my post on this a few days ago, I could not help imagining the Antichrist watching the meeting from the wings of the world stage, nodding with approval. 2,000 of the world's 1% and 50 heads of state are paving the road for his entry. Jimmy, I think it's entirely possible that he was in attendance this week in Davos. Oh, no doubt, RC. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think he was there. I think definitely he's going to be a world leader. As we see, there are 27 different names for the Antichrist in scriptures. He's a world leader that is on the scene. Satan has no idea when 
the rapture or the day of the Lord will begin. So he has to have someone ready to fulfill that role of the Antichrist. RC, thank you so much for being a part of our program. I knew that uh, when we were looking at this, and I think we're going to see more coming out of this as the whole world, governments are moving towards that and uh, instituting, putting in place the agenda of the World Economic Forum. And we can see that happening even in the United States, can't we? Yes, we can. Each day we're starting to see more and more people, more and more governments, even the Vatican is falling in line with a lot of the principles coming out of the Davos meetings. So we're seeing it infiltrating into countries in Europe and the United States. Oh, man, that was a key that you just said right there. Even the Vatican, <laughs> that's the Antichrist, a world leader and a false prophet uh, of a false uh, religious movement that uh, headquartered, I believe, in the city of Rome. And uh, that that's uh, something for us to talk about in the future, correct? <laughs> Yes, anytime, Jimmy. <laughs> Excellent. R.C. Burrell, thank you so much. Uh, your website again? Yes, it's uh, prophecytracker.org. Prophecytracker.org, great website, lots of information there. Uh, for those of you that are studying Bible prophecy and want to know the events that we watch and why we watch them and how they pertain to Bible prophecy in the future that is yet to be fulfilled. Thanks, R.C. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Great to be with you, Jimmy. God bless. Well, R.C. Merle is our guy that we always get our information on, on DeVos and Global Elite, the World Economic Forum. And I, I think that is so very important that we keep our eyes on it. And we'll be talking about the Pope's uh, conversation or comments concerning what took place in DeVos, Switzerland. Well, another friend of ours that we have over the years in ministry and a, a new one that I'm introducing you to, the broadcast family of partners would be Paul Scharf. Paul, welcome to the program today. Thank you, Jimmy. It's so wonderful to be with you. Yes, Paul. Now, for many years, and I I want you to introduce yourself because folks have heard you on our internet radio station, uh, but for many years you have been really uh, the person that has facilitated Dr. John Wickham, uh, and that's a, I mean, there's so much that we could talk about Dr. Wickham and one of my dad's favorite teachers, but also you work with Friends of Israel. Just tell us a little bit about your ministry. Yes, Jimmy. Uh, I had the tremendous privilege in the providence of God of knowing Dr. John Wickham. He was, in fact, one of the main reasons that I chose to attend the seminary that I went to back in 1994, and I ultimately had the opportunity to take 10 classes with him at Faith Baptist Theological Seminary in Ankeny, Iowa, got to know him in a very special way and ended up assisting him in his ministry for the last 17 years of his life. And that was just a wonderful privilege and blessing. Mm. He was a great teacher, a great mentor. I've listened to most every word that he ever <laughs> recorded and uh, have just my life has been transformed by the teaching of the Word of God through Dr. Whitcomb and other great men that God has has blessed and surrounded me with, and I'm just so thankful for that. And our ministry now and going forward, Lord willing, is to serve with the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministry. I'm actually in my fourth year of doing that, second year of being full-time with the Friends of Israel as a church ministries representative here in the Midwestern United States. 
Well, you know what? That is fantastic. And friends of uh, our ministry, uh, listeners to our program are very familiar with Friends of Israel, Steve Herzig, um, and uh, the ministry, Dr. Elwood McQuaid. I'm so excited about what you will be doing. As a matter of fact, I do realize that Friends of Israel just had a recent conference uh, entitled, and this is what piqued my interest, From Eden to Eden. And uh, yes. in the Prophecy Up Close conferences and your role in presenting in that. Tell us about that. Well, that was a great honor, Jimmy. And I got to speak with Steve Herzig, who you just mentioned. Uh, the four topics for the conference were the same in each location with different speakers. They were on the garden created and corrupted. And then my first message, God's epic restoration plan. And then uh, message three was a journey toward redemption. And then I also did message four. So I did two and four. And four is the garden resurrected and restored. Mm. So going from Eden to Eden, uh, called a journey through God's epic plan to redeem his creation. Well, tell us about that. Uh, And uh, what was the passage that you use? And give us a little bit, uh, a snippet of it. Yes. uh, I talked about, I picked up in my first message, uh, really with the flood, talk just a little bit about Dr. Whitcomb's legacy, and um, but really drawing on uh, much that I learned from him uh, regarding the flood, the post-flood world, uh, the Tower of Babel and its significance, and then, of course, the call of Abram and the Abrahamic covenant, which is the basis of everything that God would do in the world from that point that he gave it onward, and still is, as you know, Jimmy, uh, so important, still vital and and absolutely in force in the world today. God is going to fulfill every word of the Abrahamic covenant, which is the basis of all the unconditional covenants that he gave to his chosen people of Israel, Mm -hmm. and it's the basis of all of God's work in providing salvation. He provided salvation to the world, blessing the whole world, but through, of course, a Jewish and Israeli Messiah. And uh, that, of course, if for no other reason, would be all that we need to uh, want to be a blessing Mm. to the people of Israel and to love Israel. And so God is working out that plan through history. And I spoke about when, in fact, it will be like Genesis again. And in fact, Jesus used that very term in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, in answering a question from Peter. He said, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, and literally in the original Greek, that word, the parts of that word are literally when it will be Genesis again. Mm. When the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, he said, You who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And so I went through various concepts at the end of the book of Revelation, where we see, first of all, in the millennial kingdom, and then I believe into eternity future, there will be continuing elements that will be like the Garden of Eden, paradise, uh, return to earth, and it will be like Genesis again, forever and ever for the believer, uh, because of the redemption provided by Christ our Savior. Wow. You know, the the thing that, and I would encourage, and you think this is so important as well as I do, 
when God made the covenants with the Jewish people, and there are four of them that we look at today that would be the Abrahamic covenant, which you talked about, that is the basis. Mm-hmm. I like that. You've got the uh, the land covenant, you've got the Davidic mm-hmm. covenant, and you've right. got the new covenant. All of those yeah. are still yet to be fulfilled, and which is the reason yeah. why we watch the Jewish people, that God's not finished with the Jewish people in the future. And that's one of the bases for helping us to understand Bible prophecy, correct? Yes, absolutely. And those covenants will be literally fulfilled, we believe, and fully uh, performed by God. He will fulfill every promise he's ever given, every prophecy he's ever made regarding his blessed chosen people of Israel. Yes. Well, Paul Scharf, uh, your ministry and you're working with Friends of Israel, we talked a little bit. And what I'm going to do, Paul, if you're okay with this, I'll have you back next week because I want to talk uh, specifically about Genesis again. And uh, I do want to talk about uh, this, uh, the millennial kingdom when uh, everything will be back to as it was in the Garden of Eden here on the earth. And I think that is so very important. And we'll talk about the role of the Jewish people. Uh, I think so very important as we see the, uh, the focus on the city of Jerusalem now as we're watching what's taking place. But really, all of this will be fulfilled and God is uh, moving parts and pieces in place to fulfill his prophecy, but that is yet to take place, and that happens after the rapture of the church. Give us your your website, Paul, that we can maybe uh, see some of the material and listen to some of the things that you have presented. Thank you, Jimmy. I have a webpage for my ministry within the Friends of Israel at sermonaudio.com slash psharf. That's p S-C-H-A-R-F, P-Sharf. And uh, people can find the resources that we provide there. They can contact me. They can sign up if they wish to receive our weekly e-newsletter and find all the resources we have there, sermonaudio.com slash P-Sharf. And I also have an article that I've written on this topic of when Genesis comes again. Mm. Well, I'm looking forward to talking to you uh, next week, not only about that, but I do want to talk to you about Pentecost. I know you're an expert on that, and uh, we'll talk about that because June 5th is the, the celebration of what we celebrate as the Feast of Pentecost and the beginning of the church, and I, I want to talk to you about that. Thank you, Paul. Lord bless you, and we'll talk to you again next week. Absolutely. Thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> Folks, we got to take a break. When we come back, our Legacy Series with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. Uh, on this week's Prophecy Today weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, I've got to say thank you so much for picking the stories and the issues. I mean, you and I both do this, but really the stories that you had with Ken Temmerman and David Dolan uh, when we talked with Intermar Marcus in the Palestinian situation so that we are aware of what's going on and Americans are aware of what the Palestinians are thinking. And, of course, with R.C. Murrow and then of Paul Scharf talking about God's plan for the Jewish people, it really does help people to understand Bible prophecy. It certainly does. And when we look at those stories, and we pick those stories for a specific reason, when we look at those stories, we realize that, as we always say, the stage is being set, and it just, things are certainly falling into place. Jimmy, I'd also like to encourage our listeners, if you enjoy the radio program and you would like to 
know more about our ministry and kind of dig deeper into Bible prophecy, we encourage our people to visit prophecytoday.com. It's our website. We have our stories there. We have our podcasts there. Um, You can learn more about what we do. You can learn more about Bible prophecy. We have study aids, some of them on the site for free, some of them on the bookstore. If you would like to go to the bookstore, we have teaching series, teaching DVDs. Those are things that would help you in your understanding of Bible prophecy. It's part of our ministry, and it supports our ministry. So we would love for you to go there and visit us and give us some feedback if you can. That's prophecytoday.com. Well, last week, Rick, in our study of a worldwide flood, the judgment of the earth 4,500 years ago, we saw that the Lord defeated Satan and his plan to defeat God. However, Satan came up with a new strategy, and this week, this new plan of the evil one is to kill all the Jews on the earth with a terrible holocaust. Not the holocaust of World War II, but a worse holocaust yet to come. Please take your Bible and go to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12, where Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series continues. Go to the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, the archangel shouts, the trumpet of God sounds, and we're out of here to be with him. The rapture, the next activity to take place. And then after that's going to be a seven-year period of time. Seven years of terrible holocaust. Hello? Holocaust on the face of the earth. Half of the earth's population, 3.5 billion people, are going to be killed. Plus many, many more will come to death. The Bible talks about in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 8, two out of every three Jews will be killed. Listen, the worst holocaust yet to take place on the earth happened 65 years ago in World War II when Adolf Hitler killed 6 million people, 6 Jewish million people, because he was trying to set up a kingdom, false doctrine leading to that. By the way, that was one-third of the earth's Jewish population at that time. In World War II, there were 18 million Jews. He killed 6 million of them. That left 12 million. We have today approximately 12.5 million Jews upon the earth. The next Holocaust will kill two out of every three. That's 8 million plus Jews yet to be killed. And it's all a result. And what happens from that flood activity? The retribution from the flood. Evil angels playing a key role to kill Jewish people. Go over here to Revelation chapter 12 with me first. Chapter 12, and let me set the stage for chapter 9. Chapter 12. Chapter 12 is at the midway point of the tribulation. The first three and a half years have been completed. The church, a false church in Rome was established, chapter 17. There were two witnesses that would preach for three and a half years, 1260 days. The text says that's chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. Then we come to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, starting in verse 7. Chapter 12 and verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. They prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And that great dragon, by the way, apocalyptic literature, who's the dragon? We're going to get the definition right now in verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, that old serpent that appeared to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. He was he deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. 
For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth he hath but a short time. Look at verse 13. What's the purpose of these evil angels when they come to earth? And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. That's apocalyptic literature defined earlier in chapter 12 as the Jewish people. The one who would bring that Messiah. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Skip to verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keepeth the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so when Satan and his evil angels are thrown out of heaven, down to the earth, they're going to attack the Jewish people. They're going to try to wipe out the Jewish people. That's only the first stage. Go to chapter 9. By the way, the book of Revelation, listen to me, folks. The book of Revelation, you do not study it numerically. You must study it chronologically if you're going to understand it. Not numerically, chapter 1 to 22, chronologically. I just talked from chapter 12. That's the midway point of the tribulation. And then in the last three and a half years, the seven trumpet judgments and the seven vial judgments unfold. We're now coming to the fifth of the trumpet judgments, chapter 9 and verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven. That's not a star like twinkle, twinkle, little star. That's a star like Michael Jordan is a basketball star. And I saw a star fall from heaven. Here's how I know what it's talking about. Unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit to Satan. The star was given the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 2, and he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose the smoke out of the pit as the smoke of the great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. This pit, the abyss, the Totorus, the bottomless pit in the heavenly someplace. I believe a black hole. We can argue about that all day if you want to. But it has evidence that it was in the heavens. How do I know? Because when the door was open, the smoke in it covered the sun. And it said it covered the air. That word air used here in chapter 9 is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when it says, and we shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Someplace in the air, this Totorus, where these evil angels have been held in prison and they're released. You know what they are? Unidentified flying objects, UFOs, alien creatures. Yeah, I believe in UFOs. I believe in alien creatures. He called them locusts. It's not like any locusts I've ever seen. Hopper, grasshoppers, you know? Look here, verse 7. Let's see what these locusts, grasshoppers look like. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads was, as it were, crowns of gold. And their faces were the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of a woman. And their teeth was the teeth of lions. And they had a breastplate, as it were, breastplates of iron. Look at verse 10. And they had tails like unto scorpions. You ever seen a grasshopper like that? Looks like a horse going to battle, a face of a man, hair of a woman, teeth of a lion, breastplate of a, of a soldier going to war, and a scorpion's tail? I've never seen a grasshopper like that. That's an unidentified flying object. That's an alien creature coming in from outer space in the abyss where they are coming to attack and kill one-third of the Earth's population. I'll get to it in just a moment. Yeah, I do believe in unidentified flying objects and aliens. What they are, are evil angels taking on the form of whatever they want to. Maybe even looking like a saucer, flying saucer. It's evil angels. They're evil angels. No other planet, 
no other place in all of creation except the earth which was to be inhabited Isaiah 48 and so it is these evil angels attack the earth look here go to the sixth trumpet judgment show you how many it's going to be the number verse 16 of chapter 9 the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand that's 200 million evil angels somebody you say hey wait a minute man there's 200 million uh, that has to be the militia in red china no it doesn't because that's the sixth file judgment chapter 16 this is the sixth trumpet judgment you got a lot of judgments to go and besides what did these locusts look like horsemen running to battle 200 million of them are released and they kill one third notice here verse 18 by these three was the third part of the men killed that's 1.5 billion the fourth seal judgment one-fourth of the earth is killed at six billion people that would be 1.5 billion leaving three quarters you take another third away that leaves half that's 1.5 billion killed in the fourth seal judgment in the sixth trumpet judgment another 1.5 billion half the earth is destroyed and most of them Jews why Satan realizes I will be equal with God I will be worshipped in Jerusalem we talked about the war in the heavens that takes place the aggressiveness of this angelic activity takes place but listen to me evil angels are at work right now Daniel chapter 11 verses 13 and 20 in verse 13 it talks about the evil angel the evil angel of Persia you know who that was Haman in the book of Esther the evil angel this is talking about evil angels taking control of human bodies dispatched by Satan what did Haman want to do kill all the Jews he had the king Ahasuerus write the law of the Medes and the Persians. Give me the right. I'll kill every Jew. Oh, then in verse 20, it talks about the evil angel taking control of Greece. Well, who was that? Antiochus Epiphanes of Daniel chapter 11. Antiochus Epiphanes comes along, desecrates the temple. The first abomination of desolation. And then wants to kill off the Jews. Evil angels taking control how do I know that happens well I read Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 we wrestle not against flesh and blood but we wrestle against principalities powers of darkness evil in the heavenlies world rulers who's the king of this world now Satan dispatching evil angels to take control of human world leaders I stood in front of Yasser Arafat I am not a psychic I'm not a mind reader but I looked at Yasser Arafat right in his eyes. I knew he was evil. Completely controlled, demonically controlled, and killing. That's an evil man. Satanically controlled. Adolf Hitler, satanically controlled. Do some study about Adolf Hitler. Man, he was into the occult, to witchcraft. He never made a decision without having a seance with a witch. He was demonically controlled and gave the order to kill six million Jews. It's happening but it's not only happening in political activities it's happening in the pulpit 
2 Corinthians chapter 11. What? Know you not that the devil is an angel of light? Read the rest of it. And his ministers of righteousness. Better check them out. Check me out. Make sure I'm conforming to that book. I don't care who it is. Hold the same standard high. Because the pulpit will be controlled by evil angels in the last days to do what? Wipe out the Jews. A holocaust to cause plans of God not to be fulfilled. So Satan takes control. That was the reason for the flood. That's what happened before. What did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We're here. Stage is set. All the actors in place. Kurt's about to go up on his second coming. Indeed, the stage is set for the final drama to be played out. Everything that must be set in place for this final act to begin is in place. I pray that this study has alerted you to the plans of Satan. This study is a reminder of the events of the last days after the rapture of the church. Please use this information to warn others of what is coming. What a great exhortation by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we return, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. When 18-year-old Salvador Ramos charged into a classroom with an assault rifle on Wednesday... 19 kids and two adults lost their lives. The motive for the rampage, the deadliest United States school shooting in a decade, remains under investigation. Police say Ramos had no known criminal or mental health history. In times like these, you need a savior, says the old hymn. Resources from Ron Hutchcraft Ministries can help you point people to the hope only Jesus offers. Meanwhile, people throughout the Middle East and North Africa are turning away from Islam and following the risen Jesus. In Libya, new believers often face hostility both from authorities and from their families. So why would they risk persecution to follow Jesus? Sami, who works with Gospel Work Libya, says the whole perception of Islam is in flux, especially among young people. 
people are horrified by Islamic terror groups. Ask God to strengthen and grow the Libyan church. Mission Network News, service of One Way Ministries, I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we have been looking at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. And Rick, it's really an understanding and studying Bible prophecy that has helped us to look at world events, geopolitical events that are happening worldwide, uh, and to see, as uh, you said uh, earlier in this half hour, that the world, that the stage is being set, and it seems like we're about ready to begin the last days or the end times or the day of the Lord is talked about in God's word. Well, that's right. And one of the first things that I saw, Jimmy, and I thought was really interesting was with our first guest, Ken Timmerman, and he was talking about the fact that Israel is now going to be delivering uh, natural gas to the European Union, to countries in Europe, which is been the purview of Russia, and it's been their main source of relevance. And uh, I think that's going to be something that is going to potentially be a, a point of friction, maybe a very large point of friction, and could potentially be one of those hooks in the jaws that brings the nations to Israel. Yes. When you look at this, and you know, one of the things that we didn't cover this week, but I think we're going to see it, and we have covered it in the past, is that Israel is getting much more involved in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, uh, the United Arab Emirates, uh, Qatar, all of those nations that do supply oil. And now Israel is working with Egypt. Um, and that's, you know, when you look at what gave Russia its uh, control of Europe is that it was able, and really control of the world, is that it was able through their natural resources of oil and gas, and then, of course, with uh, withholding the wheat food supplies of the world, they are becoming this uh, big bad bear, <laughs> to just use the term from the past. Russia is coming to the forefront, playing that role, and it will be a source of contention in the future, and it probably won't take much to be that hook that's put in the jaw for Russia to align with all these nations that have militaries, that have the resources to come against Israel. Uh, and when you look at it in Bible prophecy, it does tell us, Ezekiel chapter 39, of the outcome of that conflict, which is decided by God. Another story that Dave Dolan talked about in our Middle East news update, he talked about a possible religious war, a religious war basically with Iran and Iranian proxies coming against Israel, and they're using the, the pretext of what's going on on the Temple Mount right now as a reason to start this war. Yes. You know, somebody once told me that this is all political, but it's not all political. There is a religious background to this whole conflict in the Middle East, but there's a spiritual conflict as well. And we see Satan and his plan, as we talked about, his plan to wipe out the Jewish people. That Satan's plan that was put in effect after the flood, after Satan looked like he was defeated when God judged the earth, Satan came back with another plan to wipe out the Jewish people. When you see the spiritual, this religious conflict that's um, in the pretense of it is the center point of, of it all, the city of Jerusalem, that temple mount, God's holy mountain, Zechariah chapter 12, many times throughout God's word, 16 times. God's holy mountain refers to that location, his city, which he is aggressively possessive, he's jealous for, it's the city of Jerusalem, his holy mountain. 
that will become the point of contention in which Satan is trying to draw all these nations of the world using religion to wipe out the Jewish people. And for a bit, he will succeed. It's a process that's talked about. Zechariah foretold about it. Two-thirds of the Jewish people will be wiped out. One-third will flee to the wilderness. It's that one-third that will recognize that God is their God and that Jesus Christ is the true Messiah. What you're saying there is confirmed by what Itamar Marcus said from the Palestinian Media Watch and just subterfuge in the media. And basically it's causing uh, these nations that surround Israel to want to come against Israel. And and we've talked about this before. It's it basically whose God is God. They're looking at Israel and saying that they cannot succeed in that land there because it verifies that that God is God. You're absolutely right, Rick. When you look at it, this is a world system, a thought process that is coming in, that is Satan influencing world leaders, uh, people groups, trying to accomplish his will to defeat God, to defeat the holy angels, and to defeat man. That's been his process through from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3. We see that it will come to an end. Um, when we talked to R.C. Merle, he talked about world leaders. And we believe that probably out of the 2,500 world leaders that are there, the Antichrist was probably a good probability that he was there in that meeting. We don't know who he is. We're not trying to point fingers at anybody. But there is a thought process that's coming in that will wipe, try to wipe out the Jewish people to control the world. Uh, as we look at it. And then, you know, when we talked to Paul Scharf, Paul said, God made a promise and the very basics for everything uh, on the earth and what's going to take place in the future has to do with the Abrahamic blessing. The blessing of those that bless the Jewish people will be blessed. Those that curse the Jewish people will be cursed. And through the descendants of Abraham would all the earth be uh, blessed. And that was through the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Rick, after looking at everything that we have studied today, it's easy to see that we are living in the last days, isn't it? Well, I agree, Jimmy. At no other time in history have we been at this point. And, and it's really interesting, and I'm so excited at your conversation with Paul Scharf, because it is, it's interesting. We're looking towards the future, but it all has its foundations in the book of Genesis. All the covenants that were put together, God had a plan for the Jewish people. God has a plan for us as Christians, and it's all coming together for us right now. Yes. And we know that that plan right now for Christians, the only way to have a restored relationship with God is through by believing in the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and only by believing that. And that's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. That's through Jesus Christ. And the world needs to know that. The world needs to have that hope, that hope found in Jesus Christ, that hope of which Bible prophecy centers around the testimony of Jesus Christ. That needs to be the hope that the world has. And God chose Rick. He chose you. He chose me. That's why we're involved in ministry. That's why we are involved in our local churches. That's why we're involved in our communities, telling the world how close we are to the end times and how they need to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Rick, thanks so much for joining us today. And again, I appreciate the things that you pointed out, how that helps us. And thank you so much for being a part of the program. Always exciting, Jimmy, to share the gospel. It sure is. Folks, with all that we've seen, we do need to be living as if we are living and expecting 
the Lord to return at any moment to take us home to be with Him. Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today.